one year, I kind of got an idea. You know, I want to try trap. I like to trap. I like to make lure, and I like to write. Where can it go from here? I would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money hand over fish trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got through the fur boom. This is Northern Michigan. This is what you do. Trappers love game trappers in a positive light. I'm going to ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This will be fun. Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volumes of Herb Lennon Game Magazine. Instruction from Herb Lennon. Herb Lennon's articles, the Herb Lennon ads. Information, trapping radios. We are trappers on ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. Alright, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet because we're working ahead of time to build big trapping. If you got variables to change the trap, you got bog trap. They start talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down bottom. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't get them better. Trying to set predator trash and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like a sheer. You better edit this part out. Yeah, it was better. Back in the fur shed. This is Trapping Today. I'm Jeremiah Wood. Thank you for listening in. It's great to have you guys here. Traffic Today podcast is brought to you by Cotts Brothers Lures, K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S dot com. Trap smarter, work harder, enjoy the success that follows. Cotts Bros is a full traffic supply dealer out of Savannah, Illinois. They have traps, snares, baits and lures, lures, uh, lures, lures, and lures, and more lures. Books, DVDs, everything you need to get started on the trap line. On X Maps, use your phone as a GPS on the trap line. Mark your trap locations, get landowner information, scout using the latest aerial imagery. Um, on XMaps.com, use the promo code TRAP, T-R-A-P, to get 20% off of your first purchase with On X Maps. You're going to find that you use this app for trapping, hunting, fishing, uh, just going outdoors. Uh, there's so many different things that I use this for uh, just about every day. Uh, it's a great, great scouting tool and a really good resource to have, so onxmaps.com. Okay, I am uh, doing a live stream on YouTube while we uh, record this podcast episode, so it's another one of those dual-purpose deals. I just got finished uh, airing a Martin Trapping video, which was kind of a, a sort of a amalgamation of a bunch of the 2019 Martin Trapping season videos that I put up on YouTube back in the day. And uh, the reason that I put this together was mainly because, you know, I've been doing YouTube since about 2017. And uh, the first thing is that I really didn't know what I was doing when I started. Second, I had virtually no internet connection. It was the most horrible internet connection that you could imagine. And I couldn't upload a video more than eight or ten minutes long because the the internet would time out it would just take forever and it and YouTube would would kick the video off so I, I really didn't have the technology to do it I obviously could never live stream even if I wanted to uh, but once I got Starlink everything kind of zoomed into the space age and now I can do just about everything but looking back to 2019 I did a bunch bunch of Martin trapping videos and they were all like I do like a three minute video here, two minute there, five or six minutes here. Maybe I get a real long one, like 12, 10 or 12 minutes. And looking back at those videos, they're, you know, they, they got a few hundred views, a thousand views here and there. But when I really got into the Martin Trapping videos in 2020 and 2021, the last two seasons, we're talking uh 20 to 55,000 views each video and those were long form videos 45 minutes to an hour long and people just really latched onto those and really seemed to enjoy them so um, we're getting we're in September now we're getting into the trapping season but there's still quite a long ways to go before we're getting Martin videos so I thought what the heck I'm gonna put together a bunch of those older videos and see if I can make one long video and and, uh, get people kind of who haven't seen obviously if there's you know, up to 50,000 or more people that have viewed some of these recent Martin videos, and there's only several hundred on a lot of the old ones. Obviously, 
most people have not seen those old videos, so I'll bring them back. So that's what I did. Just did that on a YouTube instant premiere and had a couple dozen people on there and uh, had, a, had a good chat going there, so that was good. So anyway, um, that, uh, that just wrapped that up, and I thought I'd get on here and, and record a live podcast. So for folks, it looks like a few people are starting to trickle in here. It might take a few minutes. Uh, hopefully most of the people who were on the, the YouTube video are going to tune in the podcast. i got flies buzzing around here. Um, it's been... Uh, yeah, it's been it's been an interesting week here. It's been hard to get out and do much outside because the weather's been just uh, crazy with rain. But uh, we're getting cooler. It's we're getting into fall, and we could kind of feel that that uh, you know trapping season's just around the corner. So a couple of things that I wanted to do in this podcast, and I know I'm I'm gonna get interrupted, and there's gonna be pauses and stuff because we're doing the, the sort of a YouTube live stream at the same time, um, but. Uh, it's a Thursday night. It should be a pretty quiet live stream anyway. But um, I want to uh, I want to go over a few things. I I thought I'd do a little bit of a recap of the Maine Trappers Association, which was what we uh, we did in the last episode was uh, uh, MTA Roundtable, which I want to talk about for a minute uh, because that was really cool. And if you've missed that, you should really listen to that. And uh, then I, I want to get into just kind of questions and answers because I've allowed a lot of the questions to build up uh, over the, the past few weeks. And so I want to try to answer some of those questions that have gone into my email and various inboxes. And then because we're live, we're going to sit here and see whatever comes up in the chat and see if we can answer some of those questions as well. So Just Duck, hey, what's up, Josh? Uh, thank you for tuning in. Seldom fails. All right, yeah, Seldom. I saw you. You were commenting on the the video, but you weren't in the the live chat that we had. I don't know. Some people can't open that on their computer, so we had a on on the side of the screen. We also had a live chat going on with several of us while that Martin video was going on. Uh, but Seldom, thanks. Uh, good good to have you here. Talk about habitat suitability. Yes, for sure. Um, um, habitat is is critical. Habitat habitat is critical to all the fur bears that we trap. And better understanding what those requirements are for those individual species is pretty important to uh, determining where we should set our traps. Thanks. I see the thumbs up are starting. We get some people on here. Uh, thank you guys for that. <laughs> Seventy Land Cruiser, what's up? Uh, he's here. Ottercat, what's up? Didn't see you in the in the premiere. So good to have you here. Okay, so. Um, the the main trappers association we had uh, i get this fly buzzing around me i might have to stop and kill that thing in a, in a minute here um, but but the uh the annual meeting of the main trappers association was at the windsor Fa- fairgrounds down in southern maine i made it down there uh, me and the wife and kids set up a booth we had an awesome time and i got a chance to you know it, it's similar like a lot of you guys that were in the chat mentioned going to Neil Olson's Trappers Weekend. that I, I know that was a great time. Of course, I missed it. I was in the middle of uh, making hay for my beef cattle farm here. And so uh, that, that didn't really work out for me. But um, it's just a great time to get together with trappers and to catch up on things and, and to really talk trapping. So um, we had a good weekend. But really the highlight for me was what we did on uh, Friday evening, Friday late afternoon, early evening. Uh, we sat down uh, at uh, a table underneath the pavilion there at the fairgrounds, and we had a legendary lineup of trappers that uh, th- that sat around there and and really shared a lot of great great information. So we had guys like Billy Thompson. For those who have listened to the podcast for a long time, Billy uh, is is a big time beaver trapper. We had Jason Vance, a uh, coyote trapper from Maine, who's, who's trapped in several other states. Um, Brian Bernoski, the vice president of the Maine Trappers Association. We have Bob Wiseman, old-time fisher and bobcat trapper in his 80s. Uh, long history there uh, of trapping experience. We had uh, Frank Short, president of the Maine Trappers Association. Who else we have? Steve Rankin, who is a trapper and a, a fur buyer, as well as uh, a trapping supply dealer in Maine. We had, uh, who else? We had Alvin Yates, 
who uh, we, we've had on the podcast as well, a long-time coyote trapper. And I'm, hopefully I didn't forget anybody. I think that was all, all of us. And we sat around, we, we had questions, we took questions from the audience. And we also had kind of a, I had a few questions about how those guys got started trapping. And uh, we, we kind of just moved around the room and talked about d- different aspects of trapping and, and uh, what their thoughts were. We, we uh, Some of the guys gave each other a hard time, which was awesome. It was great to see and uh, just kind of bounced ideas around. I think that would be cool to have like an every trapper association rendezvous to have something like that where where uh, it's it's less formal, less of that traditional like demonstration format and more something that you know guys can just kind of let loose and start talking uh, talking trapping without any specific uh, you know the, the the issue with a lot of the demos, is it's one person sitting there, standing there in the middle of this area and they're showing, they're putting on a demonstration and then there's, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 people in the audience and the guy they're putting on the demo is, is sitting there like, okay, now I just ran out of things to talk about and they're, all the pressure's on for them to kind of keep going and they got it 45 minutes or an hour to do their demo and they run out of things to say and they're hoping desperately hoping that the audience has questions so that they can have something to talk about but really it's just it's a format that's very difficult in a lot of ways especially these days with you know the conventions are getting smaller there aren't as many trappers around and and uh, there aren't as many people to ask questions so this format it's uh it's less structured you have um, more people that are contributing to the conversation and I think it works really well. And and when things get less formal, people just kind of sit there. And there, you know, guys are drinking a few beers, and p- people were just kind of, you know, casual. It was it was less formal, and it was a good conversation. It was a fun time. Okay, so that was the the recap of the MTA. Um, just a quick on on communications. So for folks that uh, folks that contact me. Whether it's you know whether it's via YouTube comments, we get the YouTube here, um, a few guys from YouTube, but people who listen to the podcast mainly. So there's several different ways to get in touch with me. One is my email address. That is the number one contact for me. It's jrodwood at gmail.com. J R O D W O O D at gmail.com. That's the way to get in touch with me. I didn't want to give it out on the YouTube. Uh, premiere because uh, I don't know if the spam robots can get it, get a hold of that address and I it's gonna destroy my email for probably months. But um, jrodwood at gmail.com that's the way to get in touch with me. I can't promise I'm gonna answer all those, but I I do see them. Now the issue with the other areas like Facebook and Instagram in particular is I don't see those regularly. I don't go on to Facebook regularly. I don't go on Instagram regularly anymore. So uh, if you send me a message on those, it might be five or six weeks before I get on there. Or I might go tomorrow and check it, but uh, it could be weeks and weeks before I actually get your message. So I was pulling that up here last weekend, and I realized that I there's some people that I, I didn't even know they messaged me, and it's been months, um, some weeks, some months but there's a lot of messages that I did not respond to. And I apologize for that. But hey, guys, um, um, do the email, please, if you can. So what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to take a, a really quick break here in just a second. But um, it, after that, I'm going to get into some answering some questions from folks who uh, who have contacted me, whether it was email or or those other methods in the last few uh, few days to maybe two or three weeks, and I want to I want to try to answer uh, answer a few questions as best as I can, and uh, and and maybe if anybody is is listening in here live, and uh, and you have questions as well, please feel free to to shoot those questions out, and I will try to answer them. I know there's a few people who pop into the live stream that also can answer those questions too. So um, let me take a, a really quick break and then. Uh, we'll get into Q&A.
Okay, I'm still trying to get used to this um, format. I'm going to swat a few flies here in the first shed. It's, it's been uh, kind of cold. The flies went to bed, and they're, they're, they're waking up right now. So, um, yeah, it's kind of odd. So, so we, I'm sitting here recording in front of YouTube, and there's like there's nine people on here right now. So it's basically it's quiet. It's it's almost dead. And there's probably gonna be uh, twenty five hundred or three thousand that listen to the podcast. So really, I should be I should be just focusing on getting the podcast right. But I can't seem to I can't seem to um, get my focus. YouTube uh, live live is a, has a way of getting. Uh, folks attention so anyway i'm going to try to focus on making this a quality show for the podcast listeners but if i don't i apologize um but speaking of the podcast we have a lot of different um a lot of stuff that's coming up and uh, it's going to be pretty exciting i i've got uh quite a few different interviews people that i want to get in touch with that i've already got in touch with that that i'm i'm planning to interview for future episodes so i think you guys are I'm really going to enjoy that. I, I get a hit list here on my whiteboard in the first shed, and I'm going to start kind of working my way through that list. So um, I, I want to start with a question from a guy, Stacy, over in south central Montana. Uh, Stacy's an old friend. I, when I used to live there, uh, we, we talked uh, quite a bit and just a really good guy. But back at, back at that time, he was not a trapper and, or at least, you know, he had never really talked about trapping. And, and to be honest, I trapped in Montana, but not as much as I do here in Maine. And the reason for that was the, the big game hunting was just so good in Montana. Um, it, I just had to get it out of my system. I was there for about five years. And it was just, it was so, there was so much to do there when it came to hunting big game and, and also upland game. Uh, it, it was hard to squeeze it all in and also trap. If I would have stayed there, I'm sure I would have got back, circled back, and got into more trapping over time. But uh, I just didn't at the time. Um, and Stacy didn't trap at the time. But recently, he's gotten into trapping, and he found my YouTube videos and uh, started emailing me through the Trapping Today store and was asking questions and, and kind of just getting caught up, which was great. Um, okay, I'm checking the make up some fly snares. Ardercat says, Cody Prentice, thanks for the great content. Long time podcast listener, first time catching alive. All right, Cody, good to have you here. Glad, glad to see that. So, uh, Stacy, the most recent the question that Stacy had was uh, tools and supplies for coyote fur handling. So, um, I'm going to pull this up on my phone so I can make sure I can get it right. Um, I had a video on YouTube about fur handling tools, and he was looking at that, but he was curious about uh, a list of tools specifically for coyote pelts uh, and one source to get them. So um, uh, a board, uh, a flushing board, I assume he's talking about knives and whatever else he needs, and he, ha he already has stretchers. So let's talk about that. I think it, it, it might seem overwhelming at first when you're just getting started out and you haven't handled uh, any coyote pelts before you think okay I need what do I need I gotta have a, a whole list of things but honestly it's really not that complicated you need a sharp knife but it doesn't have to be a specific type of knife um, but but that's gonna be the start is you gotta have a sharp knife um, I am going to see if I can find my knife here in the shed okay alright so I've got this is the knife that I use and uh, it doesn't have the has a broken blade on it right now, but this is a Havilon Piranha knife. Um, Havilon makes a bunch of these knives. Weeby makes them. There's a bunch of different brands that kind of copied this original design, but uh, it's basically just a, a nice frame uh, with a folding knife, which uh, receives a razor blade, a heavy-duty thick razor blade that clips right onto um, the end of the knife. And so you can change blades in and out. This is the way to have your the sharpest uh, possible blades for skinning. You can also use just a standard skinning knife, um, or you can use. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily use a, uh, a like like a big belt knife necessarily, but I'd use anything that's uh, a skinning knife that's a blade, you know, not too big, not too thick, something that you can sharpen regularly. That's going to work just fine. So you need the skinning knife. You're going to want to have some sort of a gambrel. 
So gambrel it can come in numerous forms, but uh, basically it's just something that you can hang the coyote up from the ceiling of your fur shed, uh, hang it by the feet, and so you can do all your work um, pretty uh, efficiently. So I have... What I have is, I, I believe this is the uh, Keith Winkler style gambrel. So it's basically just a, a chain uh, on the top, and then you've got a, a spreader bar and a couple of chains here that you can use to uh, make adjustable loops in the chains and attach the, the coyote or any other animal's foot. So you get a gambrel. Uh, if you want to really get set up nicely, you can have something that's adjustable so you can adjust the the height of this uh, from the ceiling. Um, if you want to get really fancy, you could even go with some guys have winches that they use or uh, electric, you know, electric adjustable gambrels. Um, and then uh, let's see, moving on. So that's how you're going to get that animal skinned. Uh, you might you might want a few loppers like um, oh, br um, what do you call them? Like pruning shears. Uh, maybe you want to lop off the, the feet uh, in order to make things skinning a little bit quicker. Sometimes that can help. Um, and then, but when once you get that uh, pelt skinned, you're going to want to have a flushing board. Flushing board or beam, sorry, not board. You're going to want to call this a flushing beam. And uh, the beam can be varying widths or heights. Mine is about four feet high. And it has a maximum width of seven inches, uh, or uh, no, this one's five inches. Sorry, this one's about five inches wide. Uh, the standard ones are about seven inches, but I just started when I started skinning a lot of fur. I was using this, and I got used to it, and I like it. Um, but the flushing beam for coyotes, five to seven inches uh, should work. Some of your pups, uh, your smaller coyotes, maybe seven is not going to be quite. Uh, Maybe it's going to be a little bit wide, and you might have a few issues with some of them or some foxes, but um, it's it pretty much a standard flushing beam is going to work for you. Um, then you're going to want a flushing knife, and uh, some people do uh, flush coyotes without using a flushing knife. Maybe they use just a a, a little you know, their skinning knife and get really precise with it. I, I like to run a flushing knife over it. Um, I like a two-handled knife. And uh, my, my knife of choice at the moment, um, I'm going to go with the Necker, the Necker Model 600 two-handled flushing knife. That's, that's what I like to use. Uh, it's about the right size. I, I think this was originally designed for raccoon. Uh, works great. I use it for beaver. I use it for coyote. Every, pretty much anything that I flush, I use this knife. Um, it's got a really sharp side. And that's got a for sharp side for cutting and a dull side for pushing. Uh, it works works really well. You don't want to flat, spend too much time flushing on coyotes because they don't really have a lot of uh, fat or uh, or gristle necessarily that you have to worry about. Uh, pretty easy flushing job for them. And then finally, once you get that pelt fleshed, uh, you're gonna there, there's a lot of little things you're gonna want to do. You might want to grab some borax to help around the ears and under the armpits and stuff to help it dry. Um, but you're going to get that on the stretcher. Uh, Stacy says he already has stretchers, so he's good to go with that. Um, there's You can use wood stretchers or wire stretchers. I like the adjustable wood stretchers that ha are two-pieced and uh, can split. And for folks on YouTube, I am going to show um, just an example of one of my coyote stretchers that is adjustable. And uh, this thing... Uh, works pretty well. You've got a spot here that you can uh, you can loosen and tighten this wing nut and spread or close uh, the gap here and adjust the size of it. So uh, really, Stacy, maybe a few pins to put in the wood to tack up your pelts, uh, unless you got wire stretchers. Um, that's pretty much all you need. Uh, maybe a brush because you want to comb comb out the burrs that are on the the fur. Um, that'll help, but pretty much other than that, I think you're good to go. Um, seldom fails. Don't forget a pair of fish skinning pliers. Yeah, that the, um, those those can work for grabbing that pelt and pulling it down for sure. Yeah, um, seldom probably I would imagine has some videos on that as well. I I um, 
I haven't watched too many other coyote fur handling videos from other folks, but uh, there's there's a lot out there. So, Stacy, I hope that helped you. Um, Matt from Texas had a question about um, coyotes, and he, of course, um, he's down in Texas. That uh, we're not talking fur trapping for for the fur necessarily. Hey, Jeff McLean makes his own stretchers. What's up, Jeff? Good to see you here. Um, but Matt, Matt is starting to trap early, so he's already done some, um, he's done some work here, uh, in, in Texas, uh, coyote trap, and he says he doesn't have a lot of other trappers around him, he's kind of got the place to himself, um, and, uh, he's, he set out some traps, this was a f- several days ago, and, uh, he, let's see what he's talking about, okay, lure, lure. Um, he had a question on lure and urine. And I want to make sure I get the whole... Okay, that I think that's pretty much the only question that was there. Matt, if you are if you listen to this and you have other questions, just feel free to let me know. Apologize for taking so long to get back to you. But uh, the big question that Matt had was the smell of the lure and urine tends to fade away after a day or so. And he wasn't sure if that was because of the you know, the weather, the dry weather there in Texas, um, or if he needed to be re-luring every, every day or every couple of days. So the first thing that I would say is in September in Texas, I don't think a guy has to be worrying about re-luring. Um, Ours, what we can smell as trappers, as humans, and what a coyote can smell are two totally different things. And uh, the first day that you put that lure out, depending on the lure, of course, probably most trappers are over-applying the lures. Oh, i got to kick someone out of the chat, I guess. Let's see if I can do that. Uh, remove. Um. They're, they're probably over-applying because if you can smell it, the coyote's probably going to approach that set and be overpowered by that scent. And so I would say that for the most part, what you're seeing is that after the first day, that lure is probably just starting to work. And so I wouldn't worry about re-luring, especially in warmer weather and uh, after a day or two. I mean, I think that lure is going to work for uh, a long a, a long period of time and you don't have to worry about it. Now, one thing I would say is if you're in really dry weather, I know sometimes lures uh, lures have a tendency to dry out, especially over a period of a week or two. And some lures do hold up better than others in dry weather. So that's one thing that you want to consider is what your lure, what the base of your lure is and what's holding that all together and, uh, and how that is compounded. Uh, probably the best thing to do is to use a lure that is proven in a similar climate to what you're trapping in. But I would say, don't worry about reluring. Don't worry about not smelling the lure when you go there because trust me, the animal's going to smell it. Okay, let's see. I think I got to, what do I do here? I got to kick these people out. Maybe this YouTube is more trouble than it's worth. Um, Okay. I'm removing spam messages from the YouTube chat. I think that's removed. Girls on Tinder. I think we all realize that um, if if there's a message saying girls want you, you, you could pretty much you're safe to say it's it's uh it's not reality. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, Seventy Land Cruiser. Not sure what that is. Uh, oh yeah, about okay. I know what you're talking about. Um, about sep- using air, like uh, compressed air, to separate the coyote pelt from uh, from the actual carcass. Um, I have seen that as well. I'm I'm I've never done it before. Um, uh, Seldon Fail said I tried it on coon and coyote. No good for me. The red membrane on coyotes is too elastic, so there's no separation. Just snaps back. Okay. Um, Deal Outdoors says try lots of lures. Yes, for sure. Um, Ottercat, you need some mods to take care of them. Ottercat, I don't even know how to um, how to make a how to have a mod. Oh, add moderator. Okay. If anyone wants to be a mod, maybe I should add you. Um, 
Judith and Dan Davis, a urine, good to see you, Judith and Jan, Dan. Urine post set needs eye appeal. Make it stick out, and they will use it anyway. Yeah, even if the scent uh, does wear off. That's a good point. Um, seldom talking a little more about the air pressure. Okay, so that was the question on from Matt in Texas. All right, um, had another question. I don't know if I'm, I, I'm, I'm not going to really answer this one. But this is a guy from Wisconsin who is going to get into some fisher trapping. And uh, this is another one, like, a uh, guy from Wisconsin. I'm sorry. <laughs> you really need to find your name. I, that is very unprofessional calling you guy from Wisconsin. Uh, I, I know your last name, but I can't remember your first name. So I'm going to see if I can find these messages. The thing with Facebook is I, I pull the thing up and I just get so overwhelmed because I'm really not I don't use it enough to uh, be familiar with it. Okay, so I'm going to pull this up. It is. Oh, I get it. The other thing is, I I have two accounts. I have Jeremiah and I have Trapping Today. So I got to get on. Okay, Ben. Yes, Ben from Wisconsin. Okay, so Ben was talking about uh, getting into fisher trapping for the first time. He's going into this national forest area. Lots of habitat, but he really wants to have a structured uh, way of determining where he wants to place his set. He was talking about actually, um, you know, maybe uh, paying me to sit down with him and do like a scouting session online, which I think is actually a pretty cool idea. But uh, I'm not sure that I am that special that I can provide uh, anything outside of what you can figure out yourself. So, so um, I don't know as I have the confidence to give you necessarily give you scouting advice and know that you're going to, you're going to catch those fishers in Wisconsin um, based on my experience in Maine. I, you know, I haven't trapped in Wisconsin before, but I, I brought this up because I wanted to talk about a recent, um, I want I want to just bring up the topic about that seldom fails was talking about earlier in regards to habitat uh, requirements for different species. And I also mentioned that um, Bob Noonan put together a really good article on Martin and Martin Habitat um, in the recent issue of Trapper's Post magazine. And it, it was a, a comprehensive summary of some of the research that has gone on since the 1980s on Martin and forest patterns in Maine. and. Uh, really, it's it's no rocket science. It is basically confirmation of what we have known as trappers for a long time, that Martin need large patches of contiguous forest of overhead cover and understory complexity, and uh, they need that contiguous forest in certain volumes, in certain acreages, and it needs to be within a um, proximity to other large forests. And in Maine, that's become a challenge because our forests are being harvested at a an unprecedented rate. Over the past 10 to 20 years, we've seen really a massive change in our forests where uh, the, the old growth forests are turning into young forests very rapidly. And we're uh, as a result, we're seeing um, martin populations decline. And uh, uh, just a good example, south of where I live and trap, uh, there's a huge area that used to be contiguous older growth forest. I'm going to kill a fly here. And uh, I know a guy that's in his late 60s now that used to trap that 30 years ago, 20, 30 years ago. And uh, actually even before that, way before that, he actually trapped it before we had a Martin limit in Maine. Right now we are limited to 25 Martin per trapper. But before that limit was in place, this guy trapped this specific area and he'd catch 100 Martin in a year. You go there right now and you trap the whole season, I bet you set 50 to 75 traps and you'd be lucky if you catch 10. The habitat just isn't there. The Martin are not there anymore. You can catch Fisher. There's quite a lot of Fisher there. Uh, they've moved in and, and done very well with this fragmented younger growth forest relative to Martin. So uh, it, it's, uh, you know, it's a change. So it's something I wanted to bring up. Um, uh, I, I would encourage uh, you, Ben, from, you know, based on your question, uh, to read that article. And uh, I, I'm glad to follow up with you. I need to follow up with you. And uh, maybe we can do a little something, a little scouting session to see if I have any information I could share with you. But 
um, yeah, that's uh, habitat is pretty key. Okay, just duck. Hey, Jim, good good to see you here. Jim, uh, my email address is jrodwood at gmail.com. That's J-R-O-D-W-O-O-D at gmail.com. Um, I was trying to find your email and I couldn't find it, I was, so I, I couldn't email you, but I, I had a question for you. Um, actually, would would love to get you on the Trapping Today podcast if you would be interested in doing a little phone interview. So if you are, please uh, send me an email to that address. And uh, I think it'd be great to get connected and talk more about your trap line in, in Ontario and the, the different things that you do. Just Duck says, with having a farm, how do you regulate your trapping and letting them be? Want to trap by the house, but also like the fact that some of the weasels maintain the mouse population. Oh man, Just Duck, you should talk with my wife. Uh, she she wants me to kill every weasel around the house because um, one a few years back we got a bunch of um, laying hens, or we we got a bunch of chicks that we were raising to be laying hens, and a weasel got in to the shed they were in uh, through a small crack and killed I think 24 of them. It was pretty bad. And uh, we have had uh, have some weasel issues here and there um, in the meantime. But um, she wants every weasel dead. But I argue that, you know, we got mice trying to come into the house and the weasels are great control in the mouse population. So, um, yeah, that is a back and forth for sure. If you kill every weasel, you're probably going to have to have some decon or some mouse traps around your house. But I want to get to the larger issue about regulating um, your populations, because I think that is a really good one outside of just the whole weasel and mouse issue. Just Doc says, um, I have a sheep farm. I don't want the mice. also really don't want to have the predators coming in for the herd. Okay, so this question is one that would have a much different answer if we were talking 20, 30, or 40 years ago. And the reason for that is we used to be in an era where there was much greater trapping pressure for all of these fur-bearing species. So back in the day, the big concern was we're running out of fisher, um, or you can't catch a fox, you can't find a fox, because everybody and their brother and uncle and cousin is trying to trap a fox, because they can make uh, a, a week's wages uh, for one fox, or catching one fox. Uh, and so on for all of the different species. So uh, the fur bears were well, regu- well regulated. And uh, if you go outside of your general area in your farm, there was another farm down the road that was tra- the guys were trapping over there. And there was another one down the road that guys were trapping on that side. And so overall populations were pretty re- well regulated. That has completely changed. Um, an interesting uh, parallel to this in more of a wilderness setting was uh, my friend Tyler Selden that was on the show The Last Alaskans. He just had an interview with Trapper's Post magazine in this uh, in this recent uh, issue as well. And uh, he talked about trapping up in interior Alaska where I went. Uh, I trapped in 2020 with another friend. for I spent three weeks up there. We trapped for lynx and wolverine. Um, area was 45 miles by snow machine from the nearest village, which was 150 miles by uh, plane from Fairbanks, Alaska. So uh, pretty remote. But back in the day, that entire area was trapped. And you couldn't go 20 miles upriver or downriver without going into another trapper's territory. And they regularly trapped those territories every year and they harvested fur and controlled populations. What Tyler mentioned is that nowadays he has no concerns about over trapping. Because he can go in 60 miles, actually, well, I I will say, or we were about 30 miles from him, but he can go between 30 and 80 miles in any direction, and there are no trappers left, none, zero. So there's no trapping pressure taking place there to harvest those other animals. So I think last year he caught like 10 wolverines. Back in the day, you could never catch 10 wolverines on a trap line that size, but there are no wolver- there's no wolverine trappers on all four sides of them and so those populations are really healthy and as many animals as you can trap there's more coming in from different territories so just duck uh, my comment to that would be where we're at right now with the fur market with the number of trappers we have out there 
pretty much everywhere in the U.S. I'm not sure about Canada. Jim could probably fill us in on uh, on how utilized those registered trap lines are in Canada right now. But at least in the U.S., uh, I I think the vast majority of places you don't have to worry about over trapping. And uh, one of the bright sides of things with the low fur market is you can pretty much trap with as much as you want to trap hard catch as many animals as you want right now and you don't have to worry about managing these populations um, martin up here you can kind of impact them a little bit um, but i would i would say that there's still not enough trappers to really have an impact the, the large impact on the martin population is habitat okay remove i'm removing more spam does that mean our channel is getting more popular because we have, um, ooh, I think I just added the, the Tinder girl spammer as a moderator. That's probably not a good idea. Um, all right. If anybody wants to be a moderator and get rid of that spam, um, I'm going to, oops. Yeah. Tinder is now a moderator of our channel. Okay, I removed it. God, this is this is challenging. All right, if anybody wants to be a moderator, let me know. Ottercat, okay, I'm Ottercat. Um, I'm gonna add you, Just Duck. I'm gonna add you. Still learning this stuff. Thank you guys, appreciate it. Hey Brian, what's up, Brian Bernoski, um, Pre Vice President of Maine Trappers Association. Are you aware there's a bill in the state spot? Sponsored by both U.S. congressional delegates to expand the Katahdin Woods and Water Monument. What are your thoughts? Uh, Brian, I would have to, um, well, that's a good question. I, I would have to, I'd have to learn a little bit more about that. So that's, that is an interesting topic. We could probably spend an hour talking about that. Mountain Mariner says, Ashley Seldon's making me a pair of beaver gauntlet gloves. Can't wait to get them. Hey, Mountain, I was actually... Uh, this week, uh, Tyler and I were supposed to call. I was supposed to have a call, phone call with them, and um, we set it all up. Of course, they're four hours. We're four-hour time difference, and he was just getting ready to head up to Circle, put his boat in the river, and go up up river to his trap line with the dogs and supplies. And uh, I actually had got called out on work. I had a kind of an emergency at work. I had to get out. There's a big fish kill, and I had to go look into that and. Uh, I, I, he called and I missed it and I tried to call back and he was out of cell service. So, um, yeah, they, it is only late September and he's already up. They're already up. He's already up at the trap line, um, with the dogs and, uh, he's going to come down, take the boat back down and Ashley's going to fly in, I think in a few days. So yeah, it is, I mean, it's game time. They're already getting in the trap line. They're not going to be out back out of there until sometime next spring. So um, quite a different lifestyle. It's just, it's amazing. It is amazing. Um, uh, Brian says, looking to expand by 43,000 acres. Okay. Um, so, I don't know if I should even start on that. First of all, Brian, thanks for being here, man. I Actually, you should probably be on the podcast, too. The cool thing about Brian is he has a voice that can go for miles. And he is, he is a uh, very well spoken, and you he you can hear him when he talks. It's it's great. Um, you'll hear if you you listen to that Trappers Roundtable we did. Um, so, uh, you, Brian, you probably remember the old bumper stickers. I had one on my car. Uh, well, there there was the band Roxanne uh, for Roxanne Quimby, and I had the uh, I had the boycott Burt's Bees. They bug me. I'm on the back of my truck. And uh, Roxanne Quimby was a woman who bought uh, Burt's Bees and made it into this huge cosmetic uh, company. They ended up getting bought by, like, Palm Olive or one of the one, one of the Procter & Gamble, one of the major uh, cosmetics or one of the major stocks companies out there. Anyway, Burt's Bees is a lipstick balm product that they that's made from bee, natural beeswax you find in the stores. They sells for a lot of money. People love it. Um, she made millions of dollars, and she used that money to buy a bunch of land in northern Maine. It's Millinocket area. I don't. It's not northern to me, but it's northern in general. 
and uh, to wanted to turn it into a national park, shut it down to all hunting, fishing, and trapping. So uh, that was a big deal. That was about 20 years ago. I think I was in college at the time, and uh, it, it was uh, very controversial. The problem was the what the problem is every time, guys. In Maine, 90 something percent privately owned land, and we don't control any of it. Um, the 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 people here here's the issue. And this goes both ways. This goes for um, Roxanne. This goes for private kingdom owners. This goes for the timber companies. Uh, we have grown up, Brian, Brian's my age, our, me and people older than us have grown up in an era where we had all this land that was available for public access that was privately owned. And we're used to that. And uh, we kind of spoiled, to be honest. It's almost It was almost like national forest without restrictions. We could do what we wanted on it for the most part. And uh, we used that land, I think, very responsibly. And uh, it, it was a, a great era, and I never thought it would end. Uh, but I started to see the clear cuts in the plantations and started to see the posted signs over the years. And it's it really is almost to the point where it may come to an end in, in, uh, in our lifetimes. So the problem is we don't own the land and we can't say have, we don't have a say with what happens on the land. But when you're in an area where 90 plus percent, there's people in little towns where I live that 95 percent of the land around them that they recreate on is owned by somebody else. And they have no say over what goes on in that land whatsoever. And as a result, your quality of life is directly affected by that. And if you grew up in a state in maybe the southern states, like some of you guys, like Judith and Dan and, and uh, others, um, maybe you, you're used to that and y you, you kind of have found ways to meet private landowners and get access and, and all that. And it's just not part of what you do. But for us, it, it's like we've been free and now we're in some ways we're being put in cages, uh, pretty large cages, but they're still cages. And uh, it's very frustrating. And so um, th the thing that has really struck me is that whether it's a, a, a landowner that wants to conserve the land or whether it's a landowner that wants to um, cut timber to make money, they're affecting our quality of life. And we don't have any say in that. Um, that's one of the reasons I've, as a kid, I always wanted to own land. I tried to convince my dad to buy land uh, when it was cheap, when I was a kid, and, and he never did. Um, so it's been a really um, emotional and it's been a very important uh, part of my adult life is trying to become a landowner. And uh, I, I own about uh, very small, very small, obviously, but I own about 125 acres of land right now. And I want to continue to grow that throughout my life. And I'm going to work very hard to make sure that I can do that. Because when I own the land, um, I can control what happens on it. I can manage that land to conserve martin populations or you know what whatever fur bearers or or uh, whatever hap or watersheds that have brook trout in and whatever happens to be valuable to me um, not having that control is very frustrating so this bill brian i haven't read up on it i don't have a clue about what's going on what i do know is that roxanne bought a bunch of land she tried to donate it to the federal government to make a national monument she wanted to donate all of it uh, there was massive, massive public opposition to this, uh, particularly people who lived in the area. If you're in, down in Portland and southern Maine, the people were all for it, mostly. Not not you, uh, 70 uh, Cadillac, very <laughs> land cruiser. Um, but most of the people in southern Maine were, were, were cool with it. We were not. We were not cool with it up here in northern Maine. So... Uh, there, the U.S. senators got involved. Representatives were involved. Uh, there was, there was a lot of activity there, a lot of lobbying, and uh, what happened was she ended up getting part of that land as a national monument, but she agreed to allow uh, another part of that land to be open to recreation, uh, which included hunting, fishing, trapping, ATVs, uh, and snowmobiles. So, kind of. And I guess her son, Lucas uh, St. Clair, was kind of a little more open to 
the public access side of things, but I haven't heard much about that for a very long time, so I don't know what's going on. Um, a lot of us argued, you know, we don't like the idea of national forest generally, but it would have been great to have that as national forest because as a public, we could have had more say in how it was managed um, and it could remain open to hunting, fishing, and trapping. Didn't happen. So, um, yeah, Brian, um, I, I don't know what's going on. Uh, no, Brian said, I'm looking back in the chat. He said, no parks remain. Yeah. Um, Katahdin's a beautiful place, but it would be great if we could trap there, wouldn't it? Um, you can have wilderness and still trap. Those two things, I think, are very compatible. All right. Mountain mares are super busy getting ready for the line, for sure. Um, Brian, Department of Interior owns it. Yes, uh, that was made into a national monument, and she donated that land to federal government. But I don't think they got all of it, Brian. I, I think uh, I, I could be wrong, but I think uh, part of that um, – Part of that remained open to public access, and I'm not sure if that actually, maybe that got transferred over to DOI. I'm not really sure. Um, have to look into it more. <laughs> 70 says, not all of us Southerners are Kool-Aid drinkers. Um, D Judith and Dan, we have to have permission on all land. No free trapping in Mississippi. Yeah, we are lucky for sure. Um, one tip we can give is talk to your USDA DA office and game wardens uh, offered to remove problem beaver. Yes, that definitely uh, gets you a lot of access even here in, in northern Maine as well. Okay, so that was a good question. That was a good topic. Let's see what else we have. Um, one person uh, sent me a message about the fur market. Uh, actually, a couple about the fur market. And uh, this was this was fairly interesting. Um, everybody's trying to find ways to capitalize or or to solve this problem we have with not being able to sell our fur. And I don't have an answer to it. I'm going to trap. I, I, I hope if everything goes well, I'm going to have, I'm going to catch 25 Martin, uh, this fall. Uh, my son might get a few as well. Going to catch some fisher. I don't know how many, but I don't have a market for those animals, uh, for those fur pelts, unless I'm going to send them to fur harvesters and hope and pray that I get, uh, $20 a piece for them or something. But pretty much, I don't have a hope in selling them for a decent price, and uh, I have I have gotten a bunch of them tanned in the past. Um, I'm going to answer both of these questions at once. One of the questions was, why? Uh, what about focusing on uh, a leather market rather than a fur market and turning a lot of these tanned fur pelts into leather products? The second question was asking for advice on selling tanned fur. So both of them involve trying to add value to your product by tanning it. Trouble, uh, there are two major problems associated with this. One is that the shipping cost to send fur to a tannery has skyrocketed. Um, it is absolutely um, crippling to, to be able to afford to send tan fur out and to get it back. Um, if you have a tannery nearby, local to you, that can, can change the equation a little bit. The cost of tanning has gone up because the cost of labor is way up and chemicals and everything else that require, that's required of that process. So overall, you're going to have a lot more money into that tanned fur pelt before you try to sell it. And the bad news on the other end is there's not a burgeoning demand for tanned fur pelts. Um, I've been able to sell a fair number because of the Trapping Today YouTube and uh, channel and um, and the podcast. Um, most of my tan fur has been sold to podcast listeners, so that's that's helped me. But uh, as far as putting stuff up on eBay for a reasonable price, as far as I, I took some tan fur down to the MTA convention last weekend, didn't sell a single Martin or Fisher pelt. There's just not a lot of demand for uh, for it out there right now. Uh, turning fur to leather, uh, the bad news is that leather is in just as bad a shape as the fur market, and I don't think you're going to get any additional value for raccoon leather, coyote leather from those pelts. I, I just, um, it's hard enough to, to sell a cowhide for leather, so I, I don't think there's there's a lot of, um, of options there. For tanned fur, I think you're going to have to get creative. If you can find a craft market, uh, some sort of an outlet uh, local, 
maybe trade show or uh, something where, where you could find people that are looking for that. Um, or if you can kind of build up a reputation as the local mountain man, local trapper, and uh, have guys that are, you know, occasionally someone is going to ask for tanned fur, and you want people to bring up your name like, hey, that guy who lives down the road here is the one you want to go to. And then you, you can usually sell for a reasonable price. Um, but but unfortunately, it, it is getting hard to sell because most people, a lot of people have gone this route of fur tanning because they haven't been able to sell their um, their fur in the market for a reasonable price. And so we kind of flooded that tan fur market um, in most places. Judith and Dan need to find craft buyers. I found a few for people looking to hoop them for sale. Yes. Um, Jim Gibb, Gibbs Adventures, not hearing anything positive about Beaver Caster. So Beaver Caster, um, in my recent fur market report on trappingtoday.com, I talked about Caster. Um, it was up around $100 a pound. It dropped down to 60 or 70 The last FHA auction, they were getting around 100 a pound, which was good. But I would agree with Jim. It sounds like it's starting to soften. Um, I don't know. I don't know where the market's going to be. I mean, um, it it could you could sell some around that hundred a pound mark, uh, but I, I really it, some of it's going to depend on the beaver harvest this year. But um, the demand the demand hasn't been great, and uh, we may we may be looking at that dropping down to that 60 70 a pound level that that's still good i mean that's still really good price relative to um past the past but um yeah i you know i i i would agree with with you guys that the market the market is probably not going up it's it, if anything it's probably going to go down a little bit um hey philip fordham normally a podcast listener stumbled onto this at the right time appreciate your work thank you philip great to hear from you there's so many of you that listen to the podcast that I never hear your names, never hear from you. So uh, that's good. Deal Outdoors. I don't sell a lot of tan fur to trappers, but other craft or sportsman shows. Renaissance Festival. Real good for selling tan fur. Good. That's a good tip. Oh, Mountain Mariner. I'm jealous of you. Found a large intact woolly mammoth tusk last week while flying the drone over a beach. That is so cool. I was filming a brown bear at the time. Photo with both of my YouTube channels. So check check that guy out, guys, if you get a chance. Um, 70, got a roll. Tired as hell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right on. Good to have you here, 70. I'm going to wrap it up here pretty soon as well. Um, let's see. A couple more questions. Um, Johnny Ringo, going to be selling all my caster and essence to local bait and lure manufacturers. Skunks, unfortunately, where the money's at. Yes, that is true. Um, skunks and skunk essence. Also, I'd say if you're trapping muskrats, I would try to sell them early in the season if possible because I have a feeling that market is going to weaken. The last few years, it's weakened throughout the season as well. Um, Alex from Maine had a question. Great to hear from you, Alex, um, by email the other day. Um, he was He's gearing up for fisher trapping and was talking about the old Northwoods 155s, the old style Northwoods 155 traps had, uh, those are the 5x5 five five body grippers. They had uh, 120 style springs and then they shifted. Some of them have the 120 springs, some of them have the larger, longer 160 springs. Uh, he was asking about my experience with uh, how effective those old style springs were for uh, Fisher. And Alex, in my experience, they've been just fine. They've been just like a 120. Um, I, with our boxes, anything that gets into that box has to be um, has to be able to be caught in a four and a half by four and a half in a 120 style trap because the box opening is four inches by four inches. So if it gets through that opening, it's going to go through your trap. So I wouldn't worry about that. Um, I would be concerned a little bit more about having good strong springs if you're worried about being able to dispatch an animal like a fisher. Another fly got to kill here. Right on the camera. All right. Um, but, but yeah, I would say really I no difference. I think you're going to be fine with both of those springs. Just uh, if you want a quick dispatch, you want to have some strong springs in your traps. Um, I did uh, – oh, another quick update. I, did, I had a recent interview about the fur market and where to sell fur 
from a, a, a woman who writes for Realtree Outdoors and is doing something for the Savage Arms website. So uh, stay tuned for that. You might see that show up in the coming weeks. I thought that was pretty cool. Unfortunately, where we're at the fur market, there wasn't much good news, but it was uh, it was kind of it was good to kind of maybe spread the word a little bit more about trapping in the fur market to a general audience that uh, maybe coyote hunters who are, are a little bit interested in trapping. Okay, I'm gonna wrap it up here. Um, I'll check out a couple more comments here on the the YouTube chat, um, and, and then we're gonna call it a night. Um, Just duck. For uh, someone getting into trapping for an initial set of traps, what would you recommend traps gearing up for Martin Fisher and beavers? So Just Duck, I would say with Martin Fishers, uh, here in Maine you're going to be required to use those um, those Lynx exclusion devices. And so uh, I would say unless you want to check every day with footholds, which is uh, not very feasible for getting out and covering some ground, I, I would just go with 120s. Um, I, I I would say your 120 body grips in those boxes is going to be the way to go. Uh, I I like the, uh, I don't know, I've had good luck with the 120 Bridgers. I know Bull Isle is an excellent trap, but they are really expensive for, for someone just starting out. The Dukes will work just fine. So uh, I would say check that out. Get some 120 traps um, for Martin Fisher with Beaver. Get some 330 Conibears body grip traps, um, any, any brand. Uh, will work well for you. Uh, maybe a few footholds. I like the TS-85s for, for footholds for beavers. I know different people have different opinions on those. But uh, but yeah, 330s are a good beginner trap for beavers. Um, and uh, and go with that. All right, guys. Uh, Johnny Ringo, thank you. Johnny, tight chains to you as well. Kenneth, it has been great. A great night. Uh, thank you for listening and tuning in. Um, Mountain Mariner, yes, the flies back. The flies are going to be here until freeze up. So uh, hopefully the next uh, few months we won't have to deal with those boogers. Um, at, at least maybe just briefly when we get the fire going and here in the first shed, and then we'll uh, eventually they'll all kind of fade away. PA Trapping Outdoors, what's up? Good to see you. Uh, Judith and Dan love the TS-85s. Um, okay, guys, awesome. Good to have you here. Till next time, um, stay tuned for lots of interviews coming up in the Trapping Today podcast and uh, maybe some more YouTubes. Maybe we'll pump out a few other videos. But till next time, keep on talking trapping, keep on thinking trapping. We'll catch you in the next episode. Thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of the Trapping Today podcast. couple of quick reminders. Get your trapping lures at trappingtodaystore.com. Click on lure and you should find uh, the whole selection of what I've got available for trapping lure. Good quality lures, uh, very consistent formulas that work on the trap line. People have bought them from all over the country. And I think that you will be happy and find some uh, success. Uh, like I always say, the success is not in the, the lure. It's it's about finding animals and setting traps uh, in in the right locations, and uh, the lure is just kind of uh, you know very small percentage of the overall thing. But it's good to have good lure, and uh, I I know that you will uh, you'll do well with these lures. So I appreciate your support there, and also my new book, More Than Wolverine: An Alaska Wilderness Trap Line. If you want to join me on the trap line, uh, check that book out. It's available on Amazon. If you just do a quick search for More Than Wolverine. Or go to trappingtodaystore.com and you'll find the book there as well. Uh, either place you order it is uh, is fine with me. I don't do better or worse any any way. People ask that all the time, but uh, just just order the book. And uh, the greatest thing that you can do, whether you've you're just gonna order the book now and read it, or you uh, you've you've read it already. It would be a huge huge favor to me if you could please leave a uh, rating and review on Amazon because that is going to allow more people to find the book and and uh, and hopefully get us to to sell more books, put more in the hands of people, and I'm hoping not just trappers but people outside of the trapping world that uh, that really would benefit from being exposed to to our trapping lifestyle and learning a little more about it. So right now the book is at five stars with 30 ratings. It would be great if we could bump that up to 40 or 50 ratings. I think that would be awesome. 
Uh, it would help the Amazon algorithm to show more people the book. Uh, and we've got several reviews. Um, so if you do a rating, that's great and quick and easy. But if you do a review, that's like above and beyond and appreciate it. Um, a few of the more recent reviews here. Mountain Mariner says, buy this one. Excellently written, good read, and I'd highly recommend. And Mountain Mariner is in Alaska, so that was cool. James says, awesome book, well-written, hard to put down. Jeremiah summed up my dreams of trapping Alaska. Dan says, quick read. Thanks, Jeremiah, for bringing us along with your with you on your trip to Alaska. Maybe someday I'll be able to take a trip of a lifetime like what you explained in your book. Megan says, very good book. Kept my attention all the way through. Very good read. Amanda, love Jeremiah's Traveling Today podcast, and he's an awesome writer. Okay, thank you guys uh, for leaving those, and I'd love to see a few more. Really appreciate it. And again, uh, keep on talking trapping, keep on thinking trapping. Uh, stay tuned for lots more coming up this fall. Take care, guys.